The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, what's been on my mind comes from Genesis chapter 37. I don't know how to put this. It's not always that I come to church with a message that I'm excited about or a series that I'm excited about. And uh, if the Lord blesses us for this to be a series, I'm excited about it. The title of the series is a question we need to ask ourselves, and that's very appropriate in today's circumstances even. And I want you to ask yourself this question, how big is your God? How big is your God? Now, now don't misunderstand me. We know God is big regardless of how big you think he is. But I'm, I'm asking you the question. To you, how big is your God? How, how, how capable is he? How able is he? I want to I preach to you this morning, sort of an introduction, if you will, to the life of Joseph. Joseph's life is an amazing story. It's an amazing story about the amazing life of an amazing man. Joseph, as you know, was the 11th son of Jacob. He only had one younger brother, Benjamin. And his story is amazing for several reasons. One is that he takes up more space in the book of Genesis than even Abraham, who is called the friend of God and would consider him the father of the faithful. He takes up more space than Adam or Noah or Moses. Joseph's life is amazing and it's relevant. And, and, and let me just say, as I've said many times, uh, our, we, we hear about, oh, you're going to preach doctrine today. Okay, well, that's wonderful. I get there are more messages that are more focused on doctrine and messages that are more focused on practical things. But let me say to you, if your doctrine isn't practical, what good is it? <laughs> What good is it? It's not that, and, and, and it's, it's, it's enough that you be right. You know, you need to be right. Yes, you do. You need to get it right, but you also need to get it down to where you live and understand that this truth that Brother John Morgan brought to us this morning, this truth is relevant to us today. And the life of Joseph demonstrates so much of that. Now, let me, let me tell you what I don't intend to do. Now, Brother Buddy will tell you, I think, I can't remember now how many, how many uh, likenesses Brother Sonny Pyle said he found between Joseph and Jesus. It was well over 100. And he, he's, I heard him not too many years ago say he was still finding more every day. This is not going to be a series about how Joseph is like Jesus, although he is greatly. Beloved of his father, hated by his brethren, sent off to die, you know, ultimately elevated. There's so many ways Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what I want us to focus on because what I think is more important for us, it is for me at least, maybe it's not so much for you, but it is for me. I need to understand from the Word of God how I deal with the problems of everyday life. How I deal with situations involving health, as we've just seen, situations involving financial problems, situations in problem, in, involving uh, uh, rejection by people that I love and, and that, that are supposed to love me. Problems of life assail me, and I need to ask myself the question very often, hey, Chris, 
How big is your God? How big is your God? Is he able to handle this? So let's talk about Joseph, just sort of in an introduction in the time we have. He, Joseph's story, as I said, is an amazing story. He was a favored young man. There was something about Joseph's personality, God-given, no doubt, whereby people were drawn to him. I mean, his father, let me, let's begin reading in chapter one, chapter 37 of Genesis in verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. If Brother Tim and I were to sit down and evaluate the prospects of this 17-year-old juvenile based on his family situation, based on his upbringing, based upon the influences in his lives, and determine whether or not he was going to be a juvenile delinquent or ultimately a criminal, or whether he was going to be a productive member of society, I'd have to say the deck would be stacked against Joseph. He's not being brought up in a very uh, proper environment, a very good environment. There's jealousy, there's hatred, there's, there's problems in his family. But we're told here, we know the, and by the way, we know the end. Keep that in mind. Don't, don't, don't approach this story like, oh, well, it's just a great uplifting story because, because he ultimately wins out. Joseph didn't know that at 17 years old. But there was something about Joseph that people were drawn to him. His father favored him. His master in Genesis chapter 39 elevated him. His captors made him the, 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 the head over the prison, as you read about that over in the 39th and 40th chapters of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 41, you'll find that even his Pharaoh saw there was something to him. Obviously, he was charismatic, but I don't believe it was in a politician type way. He wasn't just... Uh, uh, just a great orator and, and, and saying what they wanted to hear there was something about him that was charismatic and people were drawn to him and I'll tell you this there was something about his, his looks in Genesis chapter 39 we'll get there but you'll, you'll read it we'll just turn there right quickly in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 6 it says, uh, it says that Joseph was a goodly person and well favored and that literally means he was a good-looking young man, okay? He, he was a fine young fella, okay? And, um, and, and I've, I've told you this before, I think, in a, in a different context, but there's actually a, a, a Jewish writing somewhere uh, in, in the, about Joseph that talks about some ladies that were knitting uh, in, the, in the palace there of Potiphar and and. They were doing something with their needles and there's several women there. And when Joseph walked through, 
the story says they began to stick themselves with a needle because they were so distracted by Joseph uh, as he walked through. So he was a good-looking young man. He was handsome. Obviously, Potiphar's wife thought so and set her eye upon him. He was a favored young man, but he was also a flawed young man. Even though he was a type of Christ, don't ever get in your idea that he wasn't a sinner saved by grace. He was, a, he was one of whom it is said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the problems you see <laughs> is that he didn't know when to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> you remember Proverbs, we talked about that in chapter 10 and verse 19. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. He didn't know when to stop talking. It says that first of already knowing at 17 years old, now he knew that his father favored him and still he goes and tells his brothers about his dream. <laughs> now he, I might've told my brothers about the dream and then when they reacted the way they did in verses five and forward down there, you'll see they hated him even more because of the dream where, and you know the dream was where his sheaves, his sheaf of, of wheat stood up and their sheaves bowed down to him. They said, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? You little whippersnapper, we're much older than you and, and we're gonna bow down to you. And, and he said, yeah, that's what the dream says. You know, I mean, how stupid can you be? keep telling? Then he goes and tells it again. You know, he, keep, he didn't understand that sometimes keeping your mouth shut Refraining your lips is wise. He was still a sinner, just like everybody else, although he certainly was the most righteous one in this story, no doubt. But more than anything else, I think what you'll see about Joseph's story is that he was a faithful young man. He was faithful. How big is your God, Joseph? He would have said, boy, he's big. He's big. You see, remember now, as I've already said, in Genesis 37, verses 1 and 2, when we read about this 17-year-old young man who was tending his father's sheep, he had no idea where this story was headed. If you'd asked Joseph, said, Joseph, uh, what, what, what are your career plans? What, what are you going to do? You know, I, Mason's in our family is having to decide where he's going to go and what he's going to do. And... And I'll tell you, I see Joseph in the same lines of Mason. And if he's anything like Mason, he has no idea what he's going to do. So, <laughs> not trying to pick on you, brother. but Think about it. What, what are you going to be doing in life, Joseph? Well, I think I'll get thrown in a pit and go to prison and get falsely accused of rape and end up running things over in Egypt. How about that? You know, I mean, he didn't know. He had no idea. He had no clue. He had no clue about what he was going to, I'm, I'm going to be a shepherd like my daddy probably, you know. Uh, I, I'm going to stay here in Canaan. I'm going to live here all my life. And I'm going to just do the things that, that I've seen done. But you know, God had other plans for him. And I'm going to come back to that because I, I don't want us to get the wrong impression about what this story is about and what God's role is. But, but we'll come back to that in a minute. Joseph had no idea about the roller coaster that his life was about to turn into. He was the chosen child, the, the favored child. He was going to be rejected. He was loved and hated. He was favored and then abused. He was betrayed and then he was rescued. Then he was, then he was promoted. 
He was in prison. He was forgotten. <laughs> he was slandered. Ultimately, he was elevated. I mean, that, that gives me whiplash just thinking about it. Okay? Now, this is, hear me out. This is where the need for a big God comes in. You don't need a big God after your prime minister in Egypt. Okay? I mean, you do, but you know what I'm saying. You don't have to know the greatness of God so much once you're elevated. But when you're 17... And you're standing in the line of the roller coaster that's about to be your life and you have no idea about the twists and the turns and the places you're about to go. You need a big God, beloved. <laughs> when you've been betrayed by your brothers, you need a big God. A little God won't do. When you've been falsely accused of rape, a small little G God won't help you. <laughs> when you've been forgotten in prison, a so-so God's not going to help you, you see? When you're facing Pharaoh with your freedom on the line, an average God is not going to get it. <clears throat> Joseph needed a big God. He needed a big God in the trials that were about to assail him. He needed a God whose ways were past finding out, whose, whose judgments are unsearchable. You know, you know that word, that's Romans 11.33 is where that comes from. And, and the word unsearchable there comes from an interesting Greek uh, uh, combination of, of, of words, a construction there. The word eggs erinao means to search out anxiously and diligently. That means to do that, okay? But in Greek, what you can do, if you take the little letter alpha, the A in Greek, and you put that in front of any word, it completely negates it. It makes it the negative, the right opposite of what it was. So this word that means to search out anxiously and diligently now means you can't do it. <laughs> it doesn't matter how anxious you get, how diligent you are, you cannot search out the judgments of God. That's the big God that that Joseph needed, and it was Joseph's God. The word past finding out is the Greek word ex igniastos, which in its most basic form uh, means the tracks, like, like you're tracking a deer or something like that. And, and when you put the ah in front of it, the a in front of it, it means that it's that which cannot be tracked or traced or comprehended. So as much as you might be a good tracker in this life, as good as you might be at reading the tea leaves, as good as you might be at planning out your future, beloved, you can't figure out God. You can't search out His ways. They are unsearchable. He needed a God like that. He needed a God He couldn't put in a box and work Him into His plans. He needed a God who was above it all. He needed a God whose purposes are eternal the eternal purposes of God. He needed that God about whom it said that He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the kind of God that He needed. It's, it's the kind of God who, who purposed to save His people from eternity past and, and is going to carry through with that and is not dependent upon man to get it done as Brother John Morgan has already taught us this morning. He needed a God of whom it is said no man can stay his hand. Nebuchadnezzar learned about that God. 
Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked pagan king, who, who became a believer, at least a believer in God to the extent that he said, hey, there's none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? You can't even question that God. That's the kind of God Joseph needed. He needed a God whose love for him was everlasting. You know, that's probably the most important aspect of God that I need in times of trouble. <clears throat> Jeremiah said, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You see, as John Morgan taught us, in our natural state, we can't come to God. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. That eliminates that person out there that people talk about all the time, that fictional character, when they accuse us of, of, of some things that we don't believe. They say, oh, you mean to tell me that somebody that wants to go to heaven and loves Jesus can't go if they weren't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is a fiction. <laughs> that a character doesn't exist. <laughs> that one that has that desire for Christ, that one who loves the Lord, that one who wants to go to heaven with a sincere heart, hey, that one was already chosen in Christ before the foundation Amen. of the world. <laughs> Praise God. That's the, kind, that's, the God, that's the God that Joseph needed as he set out upon this roller coaster journey that was to be his life. He needed a God that said, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his, of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, whom he called, then he also justified, whom he justified, then he also glorified Paul uh, Joseph needed that at this time and by the way by the way here's why it's relevant to us it's because Joseph's God who is such a big God that he could get Joseph through all the problems of life is the same God that we serve today He's our God. You see, Joseph's story, while it's an amazing story, it's our story. And that's why it's relevant to us. The big God of Joseph is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. It's the eternal God who is our refuge. And Deuteronomy 33 and 27 says, underneath are the everlasting arms. I like that. You, say, you ever feel like you're living without a safety net? You're not. You're not. Because no matter what comes your way in life, God doesn't send all this stuff, by the way. That's another important point about this story. God's not sending the wicked deeds of, of wicked men. But He's expecting them. <laughs> he knows us better than we know ourselves. He, nobody has ever plumbed the depths of depravity deeper than God has. Because Jesus on the cross became sin for us. And He knows we need those everlasting arms underneath the big God of Joseph is the God that we need today. By the way, don't ever, I, you understand and we understand that, that we're not believers in the absolute predestination of all things. But don't ever miss the fact that God does have a purpose for his people. Okay? 
He's got, a, he's got a purpose for your life. He's got something that He wants you to do in your life that if you'll be obedient to Him, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever experienced. And it may not be being prime minister of Egypt. It may be digging ditches for the county or for the or farming or something that's not quite as exciting maybe and in the public eye, but it is God's purpose for your life. And you won't find that purpose in disobedient <laughs> disobedience. He's the God of the obedient. Now that doesn't mean He's kicking you out when you're disobedient, but here's my point. The story of Joseph is not the story of God rescuing Joseph from all of his sinful disobedience. <laughs> now listen, He's done that to me so many times and He'll do that to you sometimes, okay? I know you could probably say... Preacher, there's been many times I've been disobedient and God spared me from the consequences and rescued me out of that. He rescued the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son got out of it without anything. <laughs> he didn't even have the husks that he was lusting after down there in the, in the pig pen. This is not that story. This is not the story of God rescuing the disobedient from their, their own, the consequences of their own disobedience. Because Joseph, through it all, never took his eyes off the Lord and never stopped trusting Him. God certainly rescues us in the midst of our disobedience often, but He primarily blesses us in our obedience. Secondly, the story of Joseph is not the story of God orchestrating the sins of men and working them together for the good of Joseph. Okay? You remember what God thinks about sin. He hates sin. He doesn't work together with sin. He and Satan aren't working together. He, sin and righteousness aren't working together. But what this is, is the story of God having a purpose for Joseph's life and providentially overruling the obstacles thrown up by Satan and sinful men. You know, our God is a God not of predestinating all things, but of overruling providence in all things. There are many things we do that are against the will of God. And God is not pleased. But I tell you what He does. He'll take those sins, He'll take those things, and He will overrule them, and He will help us in situations in ways we never, ever expected. You know, here in... Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, there's a statement that often is misunderstood and misapplied. And as Joseph is, is talking to his brethren there, he says, As for me, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass it as it is this day to save much people alive. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about those dreams that Joseph had. He's not talking about the pit. He's not talking about... You know what happened when the, when, what God, where God was in them throwing him into the pit? You know where God was in, in the false accusations of, of uh, Potiphar's wife? You know where God was in the forgetfulness of the baker, or the butler rather, of Pharaoh? God was with Joseph, protecting him from the consequences and preserving him. He wasn't prompting them to do these things. God doesn't need our sins to get his job done. Esther 
is a good example of that. Uh, Mordecai told Esther when Esther came to it, he went to Esther and said, we're going to be destroyed as a people. And if, we, if, if you don't do something, we're going to be destroyed. She said, I can't do something. And he said, let me tell you this. He said, if you don't act, deliverance is coming from somewhere. <laughs> deliverance is coming. But who knows but what you have been placed in the kingdom for such a time as this. Deliverance was coming to God's people. It could have been done in an obedient way. But the story of Joseph is about what happens when wicked men and the sin that does so easily beset us in this world afflicts us. Is God big enough to overcome it? Is your God big enough to overrule the sin that's around us in the world, the obstacles that Satan provides? See, the story of Joseph is the story of God's providential care for his obedient servant. Joseph was faithful. You know, it's been said of him, I read this in my studies, he said that adversity didn't, burden, didn't harden him, prosperity didn't ruin him, Temptation didn't destroy him. Imprisonment didn't embitter him. And promotion didn't change him. You know why? Oh, Joseph was just a good guy. No, Joseph had a good God. Joseph had a big God. And by the way, one other thing as we bring this to a close. The story of Joseph proves that your history is no excuse. You can come from the most dysfunctional family there is. He, he came from a crazy mixed up family with lying and hatred, a deceiver for a father, and yet you can still do amazing things for the Lord. And finally, the story of Joseph demonstrates something else to us, that we can actually walk by faith. We don't have to read the end of the story. We don't have to see every step. We don't have to read the script. In fact, walking by faith is exactly the opposite. It's taking one step at a time with Jesus. When I get in my car at night and I turn on the headlights and I'm in Tuscaloosa and I'm coming home, I don't need the lights to shine from Bryant-Denny Stadium all the way to McCool Road. I just need to see the path in front of me. That's all I need. That's the way it is in walking by faith with God. The story of Joseph is an amazing story. And it is, it is our story. And his God was a big God. And our God is a big God. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.